1: Well, hello again, everybody. It is the Blue Gold Report talking all things Notre Dame sports. Uh, springtime 2018. Always a lot of fun. Lots to get to today. This edition of the Blue Gold Report being brought to you by D.O. McComb & Sons Funeral Homes. They're proud sponsors of the podcast. Well, we come back with a Notre Dame hockey loss. Uh, disappointing loss in the championship game. No doubt about it. They basically played a road game out there in St. Paul. Uh, we'll talk about that. We've got some spring football. To get to as well, and some great news on the basketball front as coach Mike Bray gets a contract extension. Both Todd and I are huge fans of uh, Mike Bray, and we'll talk about what that entails and what exactly we can count on from him. My name's Mike Rags, happy to be your host, and happy to welcome in the lead writer for Blue Gold Illustrated, all things Notre Dame Sports. It's our good buddy Todd Burlage. Todd, how are you doing today? doing well rags how are you sir fighting cool. a little bit of an allergy cold thing but we will muddle through my friend well the weather's changing on us now so we're actually maybe getting some warm weather uh, and these kids can uh, practice outside maybe once in a while and have some fun <laughs> with a uh, spring right. practice a blue gold game is coming up in it real quick uh, before you know it it'll be here so we've got lots to get to uh including i want to talk about that mike break contract that's going to be awesome and we'll we'll dive into that a little bit later on but right now let's uh, start every show Start this show like we start every show with your blue-gold nuggets.
2: Indeed, Rags, and think about it. Yeah, next next week we'll be previewing said blue-gold game, so indeed. Start with some basketball news. The Atlantic Coast Conference announced this week the men's basketball opponent matchups. They don't have specific dates or times or anything like that, but they do have the home and away and repeat opponents. And for Notre Dame, the repeat opponents are Boston College, Georgia Tech, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. Those two Virginia schools are pretty good, obviously. The home opponents will be Clemson, Duke, North Carolina State, Syracuse, and Wake Forest, in addition to those repeat opponents, obviously. And the road opponents will be Florida State, Louisville, Miami, North Carolina, and Pittsburgh. The ACC runs an 18-conference game schedule. This will be the last season. This upcoming season, the 18-19 season, will be the last time they do that, Rags. They're moving to a 20-game conference season, which will be kind of interesting. I think the coaches all got together and they realized – when it comes to RPI and building resumes for the NCAA tournament, the more conference games you play in this powerful ACC, the better off you are and the more teams tend to get bids. And I think Mike Bray has been a driving force behind a 20-game conference schedule, so he will get his wish starting with a 1920 season. Moving on to hockey, a couple Notre Dame Fighting Irish seniors signed contracts. They're two-year entry-level contracts this week. Uh, Andrew Ogilvie, he had already signed one with Buffalo a little bit earlier, but he has two teammates join him. Jake Evans of fame, who had the game-winner in the 4-3 win against Michigan that set Notre Dame to the national championship game. Jake Evans signed his two-year contract with the Montreal Canadiens. These contracts that I'm going to talk about here all start in 2018-19. Evans had 41 goals, 97 assists, and 138 points in 158 games played. He only missed one game his entire four-year career here at Notre Dame. Had 13 goals, 33 assists this season, his senior season. Also signing a contract this week, Jordan Gross, another senior. He was uh, kind of a co-captain, two-year entry level, just like Evans. He was the 2018 East Regional Most Outstanding Player in this this, uh, postseason NCAA tournament. He had the overtime game winner against Michigan Tech that sent Notre Dame to, uh, that was actually the opening round game there, Gross for his career, had 36 goals, 85 assists, 121 points. He played in all 159 games during his time here, during his four years here at Notre Dame. Very impressive right there. Never missed a single game. His 121 points are third all-time among Notre Dame defensemen. So pretty impressive stuff. He had 10 goals, 20 assists this season. Moving on to football slash baseball. I thought this was kind of interesting, Rag. so I thought I'd throw it in here with the blue-gold Nuggets. Tight end Cole Komet, we know that he is doing pulling double duty with the baseball team and the football team. Well, on Saturday, he had a wonderful practice. It was an open practice. He looked great in this morning football practice all over the field, did a really nice job. And then he moved over to the baseball diamond later in the day, and he earned his fifth save of the season. Uh, Notre Dame beat number 6 Clemson 5-2. to two. And Komet pitched two in a third inning. He gave up two hits and three walks, but he struck out four and earned the save in that game. So, So that truly is the definition of double duty right there. Football by morning. Afternoon uh, baseball by afternoon, and those are your blue gold
1: nuggets. Uh, and you bring up baseball; they're they're muddling along right now at fourteen and nineteen. They've played a lot of top twenty-five teams. They're four and eight yeah, against really top have. twenty-five teams. And uh, coming up, they've got three games against NC State down in Raleigh, and they're actually going to head to Indianapolis on their way back home and play number thirteen Indiana. So uh, they got a tough slate ahead. I mean, it's great that they're playing that tough competition early on, but uh, right now, five games under five hundred and. And that uh, Ogilvy kid, you know, you mentioned him real quick. Uh, that, I mean, he's a stud, and he's leaving after his junior year. I mean, he leaves the team in almost every category. So hope, it's good to see him latch on and hopefully have some success in the NHL. Yeah, Buffalo Sabres there. I know uh, we talked about it a little bit last week. It's interesting
2: because when you think of players leaving school early to go pro, you, you, your, your mind immediately goes to basketball. Sure, But in all honesty, it happens more in college hockey than any other sport so that is a great example of that
1: uh great stuff uh well let's talk about the hockey now and get a little more in depth uh, last time we talked they were heading into the frozen four and uh, uh they did real well in game 1 against Michigan and uh you know they just couldn't muster any offense really right. against Minnesota Duluth they only had 19 shots on goal once uh, Minnesota Duluth got the lead it never really felt like the Irish are going to break through and tie the game
2: yeah, and that lead came fast, that 2 nothing lead. You're right, and a couple breakdowns there by Notre Dame defensively allowed for those two quick goals by Duluth there. You know, it, you kind of thought after it did get to 2-1, rags, you start thinking, okay, another Notre Dame comeback, more magic here. But you're right, you never did get the feel it was going to happen. I thought Notre Dame looked tired in that game. Yeah, I really did. I agree from, with that. Really from start to finish, and I was a little bit surprised when you, you make it to the finals. Although, they did have to expend a lot of energy playing five straight games where they won either in overtime or... Or late in the third period, all one goal game. So so maybe that finally caught up with them a little bit. Finished the season 28 10 and 2. Very impressive. And, you know, obviously disappointed you didn't bring home the first national championship in hockey to Notre Dame. But boy, a lot of great moments and a lot of great memories for this year. School record 16 game winning streak. Uh, they were 17 6 and 1 in the Big Ten, won both the regular season title and the tournament. Um, seven weeks at number one, rags. You know, they, they bounced out a couple of times, but for the most part. Uh, they were at number one most of the season. Kale Morris, Big Ten sweep when it came to the awards. Tournament, regular season, goaltending, most valuable player overall. First team All American, Mike Richter award winner, uh, led the nation with a 9.45 save percentage. You know, they're going to lose seven seniors off this team, but they do have 16 players returning, and among those 16 is Cale Morris. Yep. So a lot lot to look forward to for sure, Rags.
1: And he's saved 33 uh, shots on goal in the finals game. And think about this uh, if you want a little salt in the wound. Minnesota Duluth was the final at large team to get yeah. in They were the last team to get in in fact, there's a formula in hockey and how they get these teams to get an at large bid and they edged Minnesota by point zero 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 one in the formula to get in. So they were the last team to get in. And, 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 you know, if you, if you're looking at, you know, Cinderella's, we're always talking about the, the 64 teams. They would uh, legitimately have legitimately been the, sure. the Cinderella team in this tournament. So, uh, a little more frustration there that this, they, they <laughs> but you know, they, they ran a wave. They, they rode a wave as well. And, uh, you yeah. know, like I said to start the show, when you're playing at St. Paul and, and you got Minnesota in your title, it, it, I mean, it was, it was at least three quarters. Uh, Minnesota Duluth fans there, and you know that that in hockey that means a lot.
2: Oh, I think so too. You're you're running on adrenaline, and, and you you've played so much hockey in the last couple of weeks, and the stakes are as high as they're going to get. I think it makes a huge difference, Rags. I, I think you're right on point there. I wish I could remember what game, and you brought up that formula, because it was actually Notre Dame that beat somebody. And I can't remember who it was now, dang it. But Notre Dame actually beat somebody that helped Minnesota late in the season, that helped Minnesota Duluth actually get into <laughs> said tournament. So mm. it was kind of Notre Dame's fault they even had to play them. But you're right, being the last of the 16 teams in, and then to run through it, very impressive. They actually beat three number 1 seeds along the way. St. Cloud was the actual number 1 seed overall in the entire tournament. Beat them in the regional round, I believe it was the first first round game, actually. Then beat Ohio State, another number one seed, and then obviously Notre Dame, a one seed for the national championship there. There was something that came up. I, I mean, we reported it earlier on, but it kind of refreshed my memory when I was doing some homework on the hockey team. This is going to be fun here, Rags. Remember, on New Year's Day coming up here, the NHL is moving its Winter Classic, that outdoor game sure. to Notre Dame Stadium. That's going to be awesome. And, yeah, and that's going to be Chicago versus Boston on the NHL side. Well, Notre Dame's going to play as well. And some there's some rumors about opponents. It looks like it's probably going to e- either be Boston College or Michigan, and that's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to to check that out. That's and, that's, that's going to be a neat event.
1: Last time Minnesota Duluth won the title was 2011. It was at the same arena as well. And now uh, the Irish are 0 and two in title games. Now, uh, Todd, they lost uh, back in uh, 2008 to BC. Yeah. So, uh, all right, well, nonetheless, a very successful and fun season, thrilling season, especially if you take into account the last couple of weeks with the yeah. Big Ten tournament and everything they did in the Frozen Four and all that stuff. So uh, let's turn our attention to football and uh, spring football, that is. We're going to actually talk, uh, we've been teasing it for the last two weeks, but we are actually going to start <laughs> breaking down the the offense uh, a little more specifically, get into the positions there a little bit later on in the show. All right, tell us about Jay Hayes. He transfers. What What do we know? Here. What, what's up?
2: It was just, it was the whole thing was kind of awkward, as it typically is with Brian Kelly. Uh, and there was quite a bit of outrage actually online about the way Brian Kelly addressed the transfer of Jay Hayes. He was a starter. He started 13 games last year. Obviously, he was the strong side defensive end. Did a nice job 13 starts, 27 total tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, and a sack. Well, he was getting pushed big time this spring by junior Khalid Kareem. Um, Kareem actually played all 13 games last year as well. Not as a starter, but still had 21 total tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, and three sacks. Hayes is going to graduate in May, so I think he kind of saw the writing on the wall that he probably was not going to start. So he's going to go ahead, and I think it's a wise move. And Brian Kelly is still four scholarships over the limit anyways. He decided to take his graduate transfer season somewhere else. And actually, he's already visited Oklahoma at this point, so he's going to get a top-notch school. It would certainly appear. But the reason I wanted to bring this up, it was just kind of interesting to listen to Brian Kelly instead of saying, hey, thanks for your time here, Jay, really appreciate it, You know, good luck with your future endeavors. First of all, the first half of this clip from Brian Kelly is talking about Jay Hayes, and then he moves in, uh, 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 no, I'm sorry, the first half of the clip is him raving about Kareem, the job he's doing, and then the second half of the clip is about just the way Brian Kelly addressed Jay Hayes' transfer. I was a little uncomfortable with it, Rags.
0: He felt like he had earned the starting position there, you know, based upon his work, both in the weight room and on the football field. You know, he, he was going to be the starter at that position. So, yeah, we, we believe that based upon his production. You know, I think for him, it's it's workload. He's He's got a real good uh, length. Uh, he has a knack for pass rushing, uh, just has a knack of being there and getting to the quarterback. Um, I think for him, the next step becomes... How do we get him up to 60 plays? You know, he was a 20-play guy for us. How do we get him up to 60? So fatigue, strength, all those things coming together. But he's got some really um, innate ability to find, to find the, the quarterback. Jay understands, you know, the standards that we have here. And, um, you know, he just felt like, you know, a, a change would be better for him. And so uh, we granted him a release um, to anywhere that he wants to play. We, uh, we gave him uh, the opportunity to come back if he could meet the standards that we set here. And, um, you know, I don't know what his thoughts were. I can't read into his mind, but um, he's decided to, to transfer. He'll finish his degree this semester, so he'll be a grad transfer, so he'll be immediately eligible. And we love Jay. We wish him the best.
1: As we all like to do, let's read between the lines now. Because uh, I don't like this the, the the lines of we've set a standard. He doesn't want to reach it, so he's leaving. It implies that um, his work ethic doesn't meet the standards of what Brian Kelly wants on the field. And since it doesn't, writing's on the wall. He wants to leave. I I didn't like that tone at all. And it was you know like you said to start the clip was it totally necessary? Probably not. Well, I mean,
2: I, I love how Brian Kelly talks about standards all the time. He holds, you know, he holds his players to these high standards. Is, isn't this the guy that had to f- forfeit, uh, vacate mm-hmm. wins from two entire seasons? He's the lose, he's losing, losingest coach all time in Notre Dame history. Valid I point. Mean, not a huge Brian Kelly basher, but at the same time, he's always talking about how the, the program is held to this huge standard, and he's kind of the keeper of said standard. And, and it just doesn't fit. I mean, Jay Hayes put a lot into this program bought his time until he could get in there and play, did a nice job, and I think was really prepared for a bust-out year this year. Well, um, but
1: couldn't he have just said, look, Khalid Kareem yes. is, is, is really emerging here, and maybe Jay saw the writing on the wall, and that's one of the reasons. He like he could have played it like Kareem's going to be the stud here, and his position is, you know, his, uh, his time on the field might dwindle, so he wanted to get as many eyes on him as possible, so he's going to go somewhere else. Why couldn't he have just said that?
2: Right, exactly. That's that's how you. I think you should have handled it. And Kareem, he certainly is a star in the making. Really was wonderful last year in limited time. I gave you his numbers. I'll repeat them. You know, in in not as a starter, but played in all thirteen games. Twenty one total tackles. I think the five and a half tackles for loss and the three sacks are what jump out at me. It's actually more than what Jay Hayes has as as, as the starter. Uh, so Notre Dame is certainly in good hands here, and it does get him one spot closer to that magical eighty five scholarship number.
1: So uh, normally, you know. You're going to have to face about 100 snaps a game, let's just say. So, obviously, he's not going to be out there. Is Ogun De- Ogun De- Jay, is, it, is it, that's the name I keep hearing about, that he's going yes. to actually get a lot of snaps as well? Yeah, they were even
2: saying that he might have even passed Jay Hayes, to be honest with you. Brian Kelly has raved about, about both of these defensive ends the entire spring. So, expecting some big things. But you're right, it looks like those two... Kareem, and say it again for me, Rags. Ogun Deje. yeah, those two guys
1: are, gonna, <laughs> not, are gonna to be, reps not to split be not to be mistaken for Ogun Deje. <laughs> exactly. I also hear that they might throw in Jameer Jones too. The linebacker kind of converting into an end to maybe uh, fill out the depth chart a little bit there too. So, uh, yeah, it's a shame. Like, like I said, sometimes when these guys leave, he he likes to kick them while they're down. Whether it's yeah. Kaiser or you know or Zaire, you know, sometimes it's just like, eh, you know what, just leave better off alone. I I, I don't get it. Uh but anyway we digress let's turn let's turn about the new practice facility uh you wanted to bring this up uh it, it sounds like it's going to be you know much like everything else that they've upgraded on this campus yeah. this is going to be state of the art as well
2: it is going to be and this was this has been in the works we knew it was coming but it didn't become official until this week going to be 111,400 square feet <clears throat> so it's going to be an impressive facility let me give you kind of the breakdown the lay of the land here keep in mind that especially during the wintertime when the guys can't really go out and practice outdoors, that loft is center, man. It's it's, bull, it's busting at the seams, man. <laughs> 26 sports teams trying to pack in there and schedule things around. Notre Dame was to the point with its football team it had to bring all the guys in at 5 a.m. to get their runs in and their weightlifting in because all the other schools and all the other teams were coming in. So I, I get it. it. It's a necessity, especially since the NCAA passed a rule now. You can't start practice until 6 a.m. So that made things even more interesting there. What this is going to look like for people that are familiar with the lay of the land over there, the west field the, the, the outdoor practice field at Labar, the west field which is the one closest to the Joyce Center, that's going to become the indoor practice field, okay So it's going to be the ceiling's going to be 76 feet high. Inside the loftus center right now it's only 52 feet high so the punts are clanking off the roof. It's hard to work on kickoffs and everything else. So that won't be an issue with this higher roof. Okay, in addition to that, now the Goog, the actual Goog building will now extend all the way out to that road. That road will close. That will become a walkway. Hmm. And what they're going to do, the second story of that addition to the Goog, that will be a kitchen. Right now, all the food for the football team is catered in and brought and wheeled in all the way from across campus. They'll have the own their own kitchen facilities up there on the second floor of the expanded Goog Underneath the first floor, that will be a football only weight room. And that's what's going to be nice. These kids will be able to come in whenever they want, not trip over the soccer team, little cross team, or whatever the case may be. That's going to be nice. And then there'll be a walkway over the top where the players can come. They don't, you know, if it's pouring down, raining, or whatever the case may be, they'll be able to get into the indoor practice facility, no problems. That's going to be really nice. Brian Kelly has been clamoring for it. Brian Kelly gets what he wants. It's going to be interesting, though. Um, they are going to share, Brian Kelly says he's going to be a good steward, and he, we have a clip here that, that will um, show that. It's also going to be used by the men's and women's soccer teams as well, so this isn't necessarily a football-only field. Now, the weight room and the kitchen facilities, those are football-only. But here's Brian Kelly talking about the indoor facilities and why it was so important for Notre Dame to do this.
0: Much needed, obviously, um, and we're very excited about the fact that, you know, for our schedule, for example... We now can come back in the afternoon in the off-season and do our running program. You know, we, we have to get up early in the morning and get both our running program and our weight training program in the morning because Loftus is booked all afternoon. Um, that's hard on a football team. You know, when they've got to get up every morning at 5.30, it, it takes its toll. So um, reducing that overload um, was crucial to our development as a program. Um, And and we'll be good custodians uh, for the other sports as well. We'll be able to work out schedules. Where I think in the press release we talked about soccer getting a chance to get in there, obviously as well. But obviously, from a football perspective, for me, it's our lab. We we really didn't have a lab enough for us to get in there and do the work we needed. Now we've got that.
1: Thank you, Brian. Uh, Well, the interesting thing is too, Todd. One hundred and eleven thousand four hundred square foot. That's a big lab. (laughs) <laughs> it's, just, it's pretty darn and it's mighty big of them to allow oh yeah we'll let other teams use it why not uh yeah you're on a college campus for crying out loud other programs should be able to use it and not in brian kelly's world that's for sure <laughs> yeah
2: it's going to be it's you know and, and it's going to have a video board a huge video board in there and this is another project i mean keep in mind we've talked about it before that notre dame doesn't do any of these campus improvements unless it's privately funded so this has all been underwritten by a group of benefactors yep. and donors and whatnot and you know, it's gonna open in July of next year. That's quick too. Talking, that's yeah, quick. Yeah. So uh that that will be interesting. Yeah. So I think I think they're gonna get started right away. And I I don't know what it's gonna look like, but it's gonna be a massive building, that's for sure to be it'll be fun to see. But Brian Kelly again, he gets what he wants, boy. Brian Kelly I know Charlie Weiss was begging for training tables and better nutrition. They didn't pay any attention to him, but boy, when Brian Kelly says he wants something, he does get it. I'll give him that.
1: Well, somebody else gets what he wants, too, Todd, and that's the head coach for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish basketball team, men's team, and that's our good buddy Mike Bray. Congratulations to him. He gets a contract extension. The interesting thing about uh, this contract extension, it goes all the way to 24-25. If he completes it, Todd, he will be the only head coach uh for the men's basketball team that ha- will have a uh a 25 year career here which is pretty good stuff it's great stuff and it couldn't happen to a better guy and uh, there's no reason to believe he wouldn't go all the way till 2024 25 uh he's uh he's 59 years old now so yes, that'll sir. so that'll get him to about 65 by the time he's said and done with that that's just fantastic my uh worries of him going to duke have uh, definitely went down a lot <laughs> with this contract extension
2: yeah, I don't think he's interested in going anywhere. He made that pretty clear in an article on the South Bend Tribune talking to Tom Noy there. Yeah, a couple miles how fitting, you know, a couple of huge milestones, 400 career wins at Notre Dame. Uh he reached that that mark this year, 500 as a head coach. Um you said it right. It goes through 24-25. He will be 65 years old if he makes it all the way through that contract and there's no reason to think that he will not. He said, you know what? I think that's going to be a wrap. He said, I might change my mind, but he said, you know what? 25 years, that's good enough. Digger Phelps had 20 here, and George Keegan way back in the day also had 20 here. So Mike Bray will be the longest-tenured men men's basketball coach here, um, way big time if he finishes up this. You know, I mean, what, everything he's done has been fabulous. You know, the, the Elite Eights and, and everything that's going on, but it just seems like he's just now even hitting his stride. You know, there was some time maybe in that first 10 years, People were calling me included sometimes because he wasn't having much post-season success. Kind of calling for his head. Is he the right guy? Is he the right guy? Well, now he's the 13th longest tenured coach in all of Division I basketball, and certainly he's earned this contract extension. I'm happy for him. I'm I'm selfishly happy for me to still be able to work with him for a few more years.
1: He does so much for the community as well, uh, the South Bend community. 403 and 202 lifetime at Notre Dame. He has 502 wins overall. Remember, he coached five years at Delaware and three-time Conference Coach of the Year. Now they were all uh, in the Big East, and you know, you look at uh, you look at last season from Google Earth. Now, and and, you know, twenty one and fifteen with with a team that obviously decimated without having Bonzi Colson on it, and a seven game losing streak within the season. You know, yeah, they were eight and ten in the ACC, but the fact that they were even playing meaningful meaningful games in March is a testament to the hard work that he put in. Yeah, got
2: him back in the discussion, and uh, without Rhode Island getting upset in the NC in, uh, in, in yeah. the, the Big East tournament or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I believe it's Big East. Then um, Notre Dame is in. They were the last. They were the first team out. So yeah, to even be in that conversation with everything they went through was pretty impressive stuff. That's for sure. So I, again, happy for Mike Bray. Happy for myself because I've, I've worked with him the entire time he's been here. He's wonderful. I can text him. I can call him. He'll pick up the phone every time or get back with me pronto. I try not to abuse that privilege, but he's been really good to me, and I'm happy he's going to be around.
1: All right, we got a chance to hear from Bonzi Colson, uh, who had his second foot surgery, and he's, you know, hoping that won't matter too much as the NBA draft uh, quickly approaches. Here, Todd, what's the latest we know about Bonzi and his his recovery?
2: Yeah, indeed, it, it has basically the same bone, the same everything in that left foot. He did it again. He landed awkwardly in the Penn State game actually had a titanium screw in there already from the first surgery and he landed so awkwardly rags he bent that screw <laughs> so My he God. said this one hurt yeah he said first one didn't hurt as a matter of fact he played on it against georgia tech and put up a double double so it, that one didn't bother him so much but he said this one hurt and it hurt bad um so they he actually uh, went to a well-known surgeon to have this procedure done a guy by the name of Martin O'Malley, he's the team physician for the Brooklyn Nets. He's done similar surgeries on Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, uh, Ben Simmons, to to name a few. So Bonzi was excited about having the best in the business work on his foot. They took out the bent screw, put in a bigger screw. It's going to be six to ten weeks for him, which tells me that there probably will be, no, obviously he's not playing in the Portsmouth Invitational, as as Gavin and Farrell are right now. I'll talk about that in a second, but... Probably not going to be able to do anything in the Combine either. Um, that's next month. And when you're talking about a, a trying to recover from foot surgery, I don't think it would probably be a good idea to try to force that, to be honest with you. So he's just going to have to bide his time. He knows what he's up against. He seems to be keeping high, uh, you know, good spirits about the whole thing. I think that would be tough to have to go through that twice in in a matter of three months. My word. so. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how all that shakes out. I don't know if this will hurt his draft stock rags. Um, yeah, yeah. It's quite can't possible. Help. I, it can't help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Certainly he'll get individual workouts. I'm sure quite a few of them. But. Uh, June 21st is the draft, so he doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of time, and we'll have to wait and see if he just has to make it on a team as a free agent or how that's all going to shake out.
1: Well, we got to see him again at the Purcell Pavilion Tuesday night with the huge uh, uh, banquet, the basketball banquet. 1,500 uh, fans piled in, and obviously, uh, it was leaning a little bit towards the women, Todd, but understandable. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're crowning champions. How How cool is that? And it was a big night uh, for Erica Bowala you're going to talk about, but also Jackie Young, who, who brought home two major your
0: awards
2: yeah we'll get to the men's awards here in a second but yeah obviously when it came to the banquets this week uh the women stole the show <laughs> a lot of people and it was sort of funny because you could tell that the girls i think they're just kind of wore out now of all the hype they didn't want to give big long speeches they were just like two words thank you everybody thanks for coming thanks for the support man they kept it short and sweet they've <laughs> had to do so many interviews rags over the last several weeks here I mean, i'm sure they're kind of burnt out on all of that but Uh, Yeah, you mentioned Arike. She took the Woody Miller MVP award. That's named after a late stop and tribune writer, and that's voted on by the media. As a matter of fact, I even had a vote in that. Um, And then she also took the ND Monogram MVP. No surprises there that she was the most valuable player. You mentioned Jackie Young. She uh, was, her and Christina Nelson paired up as co-most improved. And then Jackie Young and Marina Mabry, they paired up as co-defensive players of the year. And Nicole Benz, she's a freshman She won the Nuke Rockney Student Athlete Award Yeah, you said 1,500 people packed into that So it was a big deal But the, the gals, I think they just wanted to get their awards And get the heck out of there <laughs> <laughs> It was pretty funny there's, You know what? When you're national championships There's
1: a, there's a lot of demands
2: oh, on you yeah. I, think it's, I think it's starting to wear on the girls a little bit
1: And the, and the men, what did we learn from the men? I mean, he had a lot less people to pick from But so did uh, Muffet McGraw, if you think about it uh, what, yeah. what
2: happened on the men's side? Well, so Mike Brace, since he didn't have a whole lot of people to pick from, he just he just picked them all. <laughs> he named his entire <laughs> senior class as the Monogram uh, Club MVP, and that's Bonzi, Matty Farrell, Martinuskebin, Austin Torres, and Matt Gregory. So uh, it is a one, two, three, four, five person MVP this year. That's a, that's a that's a record. That's a record for Notre Dame. But you know what? It's well deserved. I mean, it's the all time winningest class in Notre Dame history. 103 wins over those last four seasons. That's a record. 45 ACC wins. Eight ACC tournament wins. Very impressive stuff there. And I I thought it was a nice gesture on however they did that, just to name the whole senior class. Especially when you talk about the injuries. You know, you can't leave Colson off that list. No. But still, he missed 15 games. You know, and Matty Farrell missed five, I think it was. So I thought that was a nice gesture and a really clever idea. Uh, Colson and Farrell took the Captain's Awards. I don't know what that is, but I'm just (laughs) running down the list here. Martinus Gabin was most improved. That was an easy one. I would agree Uh, with that. Yeah, TJ Gibbs. He was the he was the first ever winner of the Empty the Tank Award. And boy, oh boy, they just go on and on here. Uh, and then Gregory got the Rockney Student Athlete Award, and Fluger was Defensive Player of the Year, and Austin Torres won the Team Irish Award for the second straight season. So that will officially put this all the the basketball seasons once the banquets are done you can start to look for because that's a wrap
1: well so mike bray is basically like a little league coach now everybody gets an award and <laughs> so yeah, nobody exactly. goes home don't hurt anybody's and, feelings that's right nobody goes home empty handed now that's it, it's a great gesture and obviously he had a bond with those five players uh in the senior class that uh maybe the the best bond he'll ever have todd i mean that was a a strong uh relationship that he had all right let's uh Let's travel back to uh, football because we've been talking about breaking down the offense here for about two or three weeks, and we finally have time to do it. Well, you know, the people winning national championships and getting the yeah. frozen fours, we had other things to talk about, but as we look forward to the uh, Blue Gold, now do you want to talk about the big fatties first, or you want to go skill players? Where do, you, where do you want to start in all this? Because obviously all eyes are going to be on Brandon Wimbush and what happens with Ian Book and you know how many quarterbacks do they have and who's the starting quarterback. Uh, the obvious place is to go quarterback. Is that where you want to start?
2: Yeah, let's, let's just kind of run down the skill guys, and we'll, we'll handle the big uglies later on here. Certainly all starts with quarterback Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese, the quarterback's coach. They're being pretty coy about saying there's been no separation, we don't know who the starter is, but watch a practice and see Brandon Wimbush get 80% of the reps with the, with the first team, and I think it's pretty clear who uh, who's going to end up being the starter Kelly did praise Ian Book this week a little bit after kind of knocking him back a week ago. He said he's just been inconsistent. He hasn't, you know, some practices he's doing well, others he hasn't. He says that consistency here in the last week has really improved, so he feels like Book's doing a better job than what he was early during spring ball. That looks like it's Wimbush's job to lose at this point, and I don't think he will. You know, we talked about when it comes to the offensive end of things, we've talked about two positions, Rags. That are going to be probably the most important when it comes to the success of this football team, and I think running backs right out of the gate yeah. is where you start here. And um, you know, keep in mind Josh Adams, obviously NFL, left a year early. He racked up three hundred, I'm sorry, three thousand one hundred eighty seven career yards. That's fifth all time. So Notre Dame loses a very productive back, and then you know had a lot of attrition there as well. And so you're really left with two returning guys here: in Dexter Williams, the senior, Tony Jones Jr. Uh, that he's a junior, they'll still need a third back. But let's start with Dexter Williams. You know, he's down 12 pounds. He's playing at 203 pounds this year, which I think is impressive. I think Brian Kelly's talked a lot about his commitment. You know, he needs to be more committed to the little things. I think that shows that he probably is. Um, 360 yards last year, four TDs, 9.2 yards per carry, which obviously led the team We asked Brian Kelly, is Dexter Williams buying in? Is he doing his pass blocking? Is he doing his pass receiving? Those types of things, because that was the big question mark on Dexter Williams, is will he buy into this process? Will he learn the finer points of the position? And so far, so good, Brian Kelly said.
0: It starts with Dexter and his ability to maintain himself in a position where he can be on the field for all three downs, and that's pass protection, play-action fakes, all the little detail things that go along with playing the position. It's been something that you know, he's been below the line on. He's, he's shown this spring that he understands how important that is, and He's been above the line on those things. You know, it's play-action fakes, protections, releases, all the f- nuances within the offense other than just give me the ball. So he's done a nice job. Um, Tony's been really, really steady in everything he's done. He's healthy, uh, very coachable, um, and so we like that combination right now. But Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like anything else. We, we, we need more than two. You know what, uh,
1: and I think of looking back now, Todd. One of the things this team lacked last year, they're really going to need more production out of, and and it's a trend in both college football and pro football. It's catching the ball out of the backfield. Nobody really stood out, and that helps the quarterback out so much. It gives them so many more offensive threats. So when you're not getting a big time year out of a tight end, and your wide receivers are so spread out, and they they lacked some aggression last year, you need that help out of the backfield. But they were very very reliant on handing the ball off. I don't remember them throwing the ball too much. to the the, uh, running backs last year.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if that goes on the coaches, if that goes on Brandon Wimbush. Maybe he wasn't checking down enough. Um, Certainly that's a nice weapon to have, though. You're exactly right. Those those little short dink and dunk plays, those can turn into 60-yard touchdowns very easy. Josh Adams had 13
1: receptions. 13 okay. I mean that's nothing and, and
2: no, it's won a game, again, that's one game that's
1: one a game and uh, that's just ridiculous to me uh and, and, and that's all the running backs there was I mean uh Tony Jones jr, jr. uh had six uh and uh Dexter Williams had two
2: wow I I would have guessed Williams had more than that. That's really interesting. I think he caught a touchdown pass. Actually, he
1: did. He was United the only States. one. He was the only one that caught a touchdown pass. I mean, that is lack of production. If you I mean, you look at the studs you're, like you're a, leaving,
2: yeah, you're leaving a weapon in the in in the closet. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, look at uh, Barkley from Penn State. That's one of the best things he does, and that's why he's so highly touted in the draft. Here, not only can he block and run, but he's a great big time catcher out of the backfield. And again, it adds to my point. It really helps the quarterback out when you have that bailout.
2: Oh, you're exactly right. That's something I think they really do need to look at from an offensive play-calling standpoint, if not just, you know, sure. again, I don't know if some of that goes on Wimbush, but I think it's a great idea to build some of that stuff. And you know, a lot of times you get those screen plays. I don't even remember seeing him run one of those I, last know, year.
1: And when when you start talking about these running backs, and I'm thinking in my head, I don't, I don't remember. I don't. I don't remember Dexter Williams catching a touchdown pass. I don't even remember that. So you're looking at total. Their running backs had 24 catches in the backfield. That's not good.
2: No, that needs to improve. And Brian Kelly mentioned he needs a third back right now. It looks like it's going to be true freshman and early enrollee Jameer Smith. This kid's the real deal. He rushed for 3,858 yards and 67 touchdowns in his last two high school seasons. Um, He's working hard there. At this point, it really does look like a 1A and a 1B between Williams and Jones Jr. As a matter of fact, Jones Jr. right now is listed as number one on the depth chart, but certainly it looks like those two are going to split carries evenly, and I think they do want to definitely mix in Jameer Smith here as well with good reason. Brian Kelly, really, it's a must that he has three running backs.
1: Uh, Let's look at the wide receiver here. Uh, It seems like I'm hearing uh, they've got a couple of like a slash players that you know these these slot type receivers. Uh, Jafar Armstrong uh, and he's got injuries that's been hurting his uh, success. But I'm hearing a lot about Avery Davis. How are they going to use Avery Davis? Interesting. He's playing three positions right now. He's playing quarterback, running back, and
2: wide receiver. So. I think I don't know that he's going to really be mixed into any of those units. I think they'll use him on special teams. He'll probably be a return guy. Um, I would have a tough time seeing him with the depth really at wide receiver. Although it is unproven depth, there's still a lot of quality players on this unit. We'll have to see what happens there. But I think he's going to be more of a special teams guy. I know Brian Kelly wants you watch him in practice. He looks very comfortable playing wide receiver. It's pretty interesting to watch Davis play. I you know we really didn't know a lot about him. He was a scout team quarterback, so he's kind of learning the real deal now. This kid's a hell of an athlete, Rags, that's for sure. I think who's starting to emerge here, obviously, Miles Boykin. He has been the absolute alpha male of this group um, through the entire time. He's going to be the short side, outside receiver. He's going to start. We know that for sure. They're kind of trying to figure out who they want on that outside, the, the, the long side of the field on the outside. That was Kevin Stefferson's spot. And it looks like Chase Claypool is starting to emerge as the front runner there. This kid is a beast. 6'4, 229 pounds. He can burn it up, too. Boy, this guy looks the part great, but he's another one of those guys similar to Dexter Williams when Brian Kelly talks about. He's always saying, well, you know, he's got to learn the details of the position. He's got to stay in this. He's got to improve. He's got to be more consistent. So I think if we can, if, if, if Claypool can do this, boy, that Boykin Claypool one two punch, that could be pretty impressive stuff right there. Claypool had 29 catches last year, so uh, certainly he has a little bit of experience. Um, He's going to be a guy that I think could have a bust-out year, Chase Claypool, so keep an eye on him. And then the slot receiver at this point looks like Michael Young is the front-runner, the sophomore. Um, That could be, you know, you, you have a Chris Fink mixed in there as well, so we'll have to wait and see how that slot position shakes out. There are a lot of candidates there, but I love that combination of Boykin and Claypool, two great big guys. Boykin has just really ascended ever since his LSU performance when he caught the game-winning touchdown pass there and had 102 receiving yards. That was his coming-out party, and I don't think he's backed down at all since.
1: Well, and then they're getting back to their roots when you look at the tight end position now because they're, they're they're deep and they're really good. You brought up Komet, uh, Him and Brock Wright are the sophomores here have been very impressive, but it all starts with the senior, Mac.
2: Yeah, and he's been terrific. Again, it's like a broken record here. But he was another guy. Obviously, he's had suspensions, had some academic issues, wasn't even at the bowl game. So Brian Kelly said, you know what, he has to prove himself. He's another guy that's been kind of a head case, needs to get in the game and be consistent. He has not had a bad practice this entire spring. You talk about of all the guys that have had the major turnaround when it comes to kind of sketchy, unsure, what are we going to get out of him. Alizé Mack is the one that has really emerged and showed that I am into this. This is my last go-around. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to commit, and I am ready to contribute. He's another beast, you know. If, if they can get Brandon Wimbush gone, this offense could be really good. It's a little, you know, a little bit uncertain. A lot of new moving parts, but at the same time, when you look at the size of these guys and the athleticism of these guys, there are some quality players in this side. And everybody's been raving about Alzay Mack. Again, he hasn't had a single, not one single bad practice. And you mentioned the depth, Cole Komet. He's been terrific. Nick Wisher, the fifth year senior, he wants to make an impact. Go all the way down to Brock Wright. I mean, there, there's a lot of talented, yeah. pl- a lot of talented players in this position group. Rags.
1: They're deep. They're definitely deep in that position. And and, and, and you know, offensive coordinator Chip Long was talking about he's. They're counting on Mac waking up and realizing you, you only get one senior year, bro. Yeah. And, and this is it. So if you're going to make a catch, there's no, uh, there's no next year. This is it. So they're well, ca- yeah. they're counting on that to to motivate him.
2: Yeah, and you know, Wags, I I said it when he came in here. I can't believe he's already a senior. It seems like he just got here the other day. But I thought he was going to be the best tight end ever to come to Notre Dame, based on what he did in high school. The the quality of high, you know, Bishop Gorman High School in Vegas, one of the top high school programs in the country, just dominated at that level. Then he came in, kind of, and you know, just kept getting in trouble, and he just wasn't into it. And I think you're right. This guy has all the NFL promise in the world, but he only has one more shot to show it. And so, um, hopefully, he'll keep it together, stay injury-free, and put up some big numbers. And, and I think he will.
1: And you look at the front line here, and it looks like of all the stories that come out of the spring, perhaps the biggest one is this six-foot-six, three-hundred-eight-pound junior, Liam Eichenberg, who's uh-huh. really ro- rose through the ranks here, and he's going to be your left tackle.
2: Yeah, it looks like you're uh, stealing my notes here, Rags. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly hey, I right. I pay
1: attention too, Todd,
2: because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the coaches expected that. Um, they, they were they were very much uh, looking at uh, Robert Hainsy, yeah, 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 who was at right tackle last year, split time with Tommy Kramer. There, I think they just assumed he would move over to left. That hasn't been the case. Eichenberg, okay. kind of out of nowhere, has a, from what I can gather, really locked down that position. He's 6'6", 308, as you mentioned. He has long arms, the perfect build. Meanwhile, Hainsey, 6'5", six five two ninety one, so a little bit lighter. A little bit less broad and obviously an inch shorter than Eichenberg. This is going to be a talented line for sure, but boy, that left tackle. Think about this. Here is your hierarchy of left tackle here at Notre Dame. Hmm. Zach Martin, Ronnie Stanley, Mike McGlinchey. Those are your last three left tackles at Notre Dame, all first-round picks. So some big shoes to fill for sure for Eichenberg. Um, Moving Go ahead. And I was
1: going to say, and convinces you that this kid's really doing his job because if they can talent evaluate in any position, left tackle seems to be where they've been pretty consistent at.
2: Yeah, it's a great point for sure. And he, obviously, for him to kind of go from, you know, potential backup, maybe you know a little bit of an unknown. I don't know if that's the right word to starting left tackle. And it really, it's all happened kind of fast, just within the last couple of weeks here. Um, but he will be your starting left tackle. All appears that way. Alex Barr is a senior. He would move. He's going to move from right guard from last year. He was a starter at right guard last year. He's going to move over to left guard. Sam Mustafer, the fifth year senior here, he'll be center again. We Solid. knew that all along. Solid, yeah, it was yeah. like a three, three year starter, I think he'll be. Uh, Tommy Kramer, like I said, he split time with Hainsey at right tackle last year. They both had about the equal number of snaps. Kramer's going to move inside to right guard. He's a junior. And then Hainsy, who's only a sophomore, he will stay out at right tackle. So so pretty solid stuff. And we talked about depth at a lot of these position groups, and I think you'd be remiss if you didn't talk about it here on Offensive Line as well. Brian Kelly has raved about Josh Lugg. He's just a sophomore. He's done a really good job. Trevor Rulin has had a lot of work with the ones during spring ball. He's a little dinged up right now, so he's been put on the shelf. And then sophomore Aaron Banks has drew some high praise as well. So certainly this, this unit, I believe, It's going to be just as—I mean, I shouldn't say just as talented when you're going to lose two NFL first rounders off from last year, but it's it's going to be a heck of a good offensive line. There's no doubt about that, and it can absorb an injury. God forbid if it has to with the depth on this on this uh, position group.
1: And I guess we have Brian Kelly here talking about the whole offense
2: overall. Yeah, Brian Kelly just kind of breaks down where where he sees his offense, and I thought it was a good way to kind of sum up uh, the position breakdowns.
0: I think I've got a better idea of of some of the the areas that need to continue to develop and some of the areas that I think have seen, um, you know, pretty good progress through the spring. I think, um, you know, like our running back situation uh, continues to strengthen. Um, You know, we need to find... We need to find more consistency at the wide receiver position. Um, Miles does some good things. He gets a little tired and fatigued because of all the work he's doing, and 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 then his productivity dr- drops a little bit. But he's got to get matched with with uh, Claypool's got to step up, um, you know, and, and give us more on his end. And he's you know. He was injured, you know, so he's he's working through that process. So I would say on the offensive side of the ball, you know, we're going to find that we've got seven, eight guys that we can work with. We'll find out what the best rotation is there. I think we're going to be solid there. I like our tight end depth. I like our running back, and and now we've got to find something at the receiver position that gives us good balance. Brandon's made some progress with um, uh, his accuracy, uh, his consistency. Uh, he did a great job today in period 13, where we added a little bit of. Chaos to the situation where he went through a progression and checked it down to his back for a touchdown. So good poise and presence in the pocket. So a lot of positive things. Good thing to say about pretty
1: much everything on that side of the ball. And, you know, it's so early in the process here, Todd. It's hard for us to get too jacked up about everything. But uh, you got to like the depth and the progression, sure. especially with the tight ends and the and, the, and the line up front. Uh, the skill position players, a lot of unknowns there. we just got to count on hope for the best.
2: Yeah, certainly some high, high uh, some top recruits. There's no doubt about that. And you probably like that rags that Wimbush checked out and threw a, a, a touchdown pass to his running back. Yeah, it's a
1: lot easier to do in the you know. Spring ball. Yeah, exactly. it practice. been All right. Well, uh, a lot of fun, Todd. A good show, as usual. We'll do it all over again next week as we inch another week closer to the Blue-Gold game. We'll break that down. We'll look at some defensive players yep. as well. Uh, great work, Todd. We'll uh, we'll talk next week. I do want to remind people, the Blue-Gold Report is brought to you by our good friends at D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Todd, talk to you in a week. All right. Thanks, Rex
0: this has been a presentation of opt-in productions podcasts by federated media podcasts by federated media